0: This week on Silicon Reel, we have venture capitalist Nick Brisborn, founder of Forward Partners
1: where they're helping to build the company in a much more meaningful way than than a, a traditional VC. From concept, raw idea, through to series A, as investors, particularly if you're managing a large fund, you want to be in the, the best companies in the world. Hope without critical thinking is, critical thinking is, is naivety, and critical thinking without hope is cynicism. Striking the balance is key. Having great judgment is, is kind of one of the differences between success and failure, ultimately. The world is a smaller and smaller place every year. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Silicon Reel presents... Nick Brisbane, Forward Partners. Slow down to speed up.
0: In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. My guest today is Nick Brisbane, who is the founder of Forward Partners, an investment business which works with e-commerce companies from raw idea through to Series A, offering a package of investment, proven methodologies, and office space. Nick, you have 15 years' experience in the VC industry, investing in over 25 companies in London and Silicon Valley as a partner at the venture capital firm DFJ. We had Simon Cook on as one of our very original guests, like over a year ago, I think. Um, you also author Europe's most popular VC blog, The Equity Kicker. It's fantastic. Uh, I was reading through it today. You, you write a lot, too. It's like once every day or every yeah, other day. Yeah, once a day, yeah. Fantastic um, viewpoint you have, backed up with lots of scientific evidence, with an, which an MIT engineer loves. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for being here and welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. You know, we met at the uh, ice Christmas dinner and uh, we were uh, hanging out, which is a a fantastic group of entrepreneurs here in London. That's kind of chaired by Mr. Alex Hoy, who's also been on the show. And uh, we were talking at dinner and I know you said to me, you you know, you were a venture capitalist for so many years and then you wanted to do something different. You kind of wanted to use a different methodology from the one you, you know, were so used to and the one that we know as VC. And I was wondering what that idea was and if Forward Partners has become what you had envisioned
1: cool so in many ways <laughs> how's that for a question <laughs> that's good i like that that's um it's become more than Ford partners has become more than i envisioned 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 uh, actually um, the so what i wanted to do was to get earlier stage and to find a way to add much more value to to our portfolio companies okay because um, you were later stage with vc and yeah was... we were series a series b so okay. you know still pretty early stage but um you know, as businesses get more capital efficient, you know, I increasingly think that the, uh, really the first money and that first half million pounds is, is where it gets really exciting. You know, it's where the company is formed, where when things go well, they can go really well really fast and, okay. and you get the most value uh, appreciation. Okay. So I wanted to get early stage. And then, you know, when you are investing early stage, then, you know, th- there's less money. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the other parts of the package become more important. Uh, and so it started thinking, like, well, what does that actually mean? Right. You know, what is the other part of the package? What should it be? And, you know, what we were doing at DFJ and, you know, what all great VCs, uh, you know, Series A and Series B level around the world have done for a long time is, you know, we work really hard for our uh, portfolio companies and, uh, you know, you make sure that you have a good network of people you can connect them to for, you know, for sales or for recruitment or to help sell the company, that sort of thing. Uh, And then you you also work hard to be able to offer them advice at uh, at the board table. You know, you have a lot of experience at different companies, how to grow a sales team, I uh, to think about digital marketing, this sort of stuff. But, you know, I wanted to move beyond the advice and the contact book. Um, and, uh, you know, so we talked, I talked to a bunch of, of entrepreneurs, asked the question, you know, well, you know, if you could have help from your, um, from your investor, what would it be? And everyone majored on, on biz dev and, and recruitment. So when I was first thinking about um, leaving DFJ uh, and adding more value to the portfolio, those, you know, those were the areas I was thinking about the most. Um, but when I came to Forward uh, and started talking with with Neil Hutchinson, the founder of Forward, there, um, they they had a uh, what was at the time called Forward Labs, um, and and there they were helping build startups from from day zero, uh, with help with biz dev and with recruitment, but also with development and design and marketing, um, and and I could see there the beginnings of a package which was just really powerful, you know. It, kind of a suite of everything that an entrepreneur um, needs to get started. And so then, you know, we kind of took that package and thought, you know, how do we work this? How do we make it so it's really attractive, right? So, so the best entrepreneurs will look at, look at us and say, oh, I want to come to them. I want to work with them to get money and to get the help that they offer because that will give me the best chance of success. And, and it really, you know, what any individual entrepreneur needs depends on... Depends on the skills that they have. So we've got one guy um, that we've just backed, who's you know he's an amazing digital marketeer. So you know, so you know, we're helping him a bit with marketing, but but you know, that's not why he's come to us. He's come to us for help with product and design and, and development. You know, that's where we can make the most difference to him. Maybe a bit of recruitment too. Um, whereas, um, if I look at. Um, I'm not going to name names because they're in the kind of pointing to the areas where they're not so strong, but, you know, I, I look at some of the others and, you know, they're strong on product, but maybe don't have the marketing experience. So they the balance of help that we give is a little bit different.
0: Okay. And do they help each other as well? Do, do any of, I guess, I don't know if you call them
1: portfolio companies, but we call the, them partner companies. Partner companies. Yeah. Okay. It's important. Language is important. Right? Yeah. And we do, we you know, like, again, we're different to conventional VCs and, and, and we do really partner. It's, you know, we're there helping to build the company in a much more meaningful way than, than a, a traditional. VC.
0: You know, we've had lots of VCs on here. I've made sure that I've kind of got a lot of the big ones, whether it's index. We just had Excel on, we've had Balderton on and, you know, they, they all come on and say, once you're with us and we cut you the check, you're going to have access to our network and you're going to have our time. But then I look at these guys and they're on the boards of 12 companies. And so I know in theory, that's what they want to happen. But oftentimes that breaks down.
1: The. I mean, those good funds do a great job of of helping their companies. The you know we all, as investors, do get quite stretched. But you know, um, I've worked with Index in particular a lot in the past, bit with Axel and and now actually with Borderton more recently. You know, and they're there helping their companies. The you know, and, and they do work hard for them. So people do get stretched at times, but. Um, you know, I think particularly for the successful companies, they really do deliver.
0: Right, but they're later stage usually anyway. Yeah, I mean, that,
1: that's the key point for us. So, you know, we like to work with the companies, as I say, from, from concept, raw idea, through to series A. And uh, and then we want to get those companies in great shape for, for an index, an Accel or a turn to, to invest in um, and work with them from there. And, you know, and then we will start to take more of a back seat as, as they take more of a front seat.
0: Right. I'm trying to think of a company that would come to you and, and the company that might walk in the door and say, Nick, we'd love to work with you right now. I'm guessing their options are a few. They can maybe go to an incubator or go to an accelerator, or maybe just go straight to angel and try to do it on their own. What, what are their different options and why, why should they maybe choose forward as opposed to those other options? And these days there seems to be so many options,
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> too many all... options. <laughs> <already>. <laughs> um, so so a little bit more about uh, our investments maybe will help set the scene for that. Yeah. So you know, we work from, uh, from raw idea through to series A, but you know, we think of our investments as falling uh, really at two points on that, on that journey. So one at the, really at the concept stage, that's about half our deals, and then the other half are maybe a year away from series A, so kind of more seed stage deals than, than idea stage deals. Okay. And so for the idea stage deals, then... Um, you know, there, there are no, um, there are no VCs that want to invest at that stage. Most accelerators these days, you know, certainly the bigger ones, uh, are, you know, they're a little bit later stage. They want to see companies with products and so on. Okay. So, that, so those entrepreneurs, their choice is really between us and, and angels.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You've said before that sometimes
0: you're their only option for institutional investment. Yeah, exactly. That's, for, that's an angel. So yeah. Okay. So how do you start that early? I mean, uh, how do you recognize someone with a good idea and, and invest in them? That's, that's is that the million dollar question
1: <laughs> well that's the uh, that's that's what we've set it out still to do and um, and uh, a lot of um, investors are are going later stage because you know the, the argument for, for people who only want to invest once there's a product in the market is, you know, it's super cheap to get a product to market. And so if you've got anything about you as an entrepreneur, you can find a way to do that before you need to come to me for money. And then I can have a look at the product and see whether it's resonating with customers. And, and that's the basis of my due diligence to a large extent. Right.
0: That's the classical thinking. Yeah. And we've, we've heard it so many times on this show. It's the minimum viable product, get it done, go to Google campus, make yeah. sure it happens and then start talking to
1: people. Yeah. And 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 to me, that misses a huge opportunity, uh, which is, you know, there are are a bunch of great entrepreneurs, there um, particularly business-oriented entrepreneurs. And if you say to them, you know, I only want to talk to you once you've uh, built a product and and got a little bit of traction, then, uh, which is the message they've been hearing, then... and the only option they have is to run around and try and find a tech co founder. And, and the business co founders outnumber the tech co founders kind of three or four to one in London. You know, we go to these tech co founder okay. events because, you know, they're, they're hunting ground for us. Right. Uh, and, um, and we ask the question, you know, we sponsor these things and do a little talk at the beginning how many of you here are, are, are founders, solo founders? How many of you business? You know, like maybe, you know, uh, 60, 70% of the audience. How many of you are technical founders? You know, and it's like 20%. Um, and. So these business-oriented founders are, you know, have to work really hard to sell their companies to these tech co-founders who, who take um, very often large stakes and, you know, and, and they're getting married to people that they barely know. So, so the
0: tech guys are running the business transaction more than the
1: business yeah, guys. Yeah, like the balance of supply and demand is way skewed towards... Is that a tech.
0: London issue? Is that because the business people come here or is it the same in Cambridge?
1: Uh, it's the same Cambridge, same in California. Interesting. Uh, and, and the reason is that... Um, if you're a, if you're a technologist and you, and you want to found a company, then um, you can build the first version of the product yourself, right? right. If you have you know. Uh, and so, you know, half of those guys just do that, right? right. Uh, okay. And so that so they go out of the market. And so there's always going to be an imbalance. Interesting. Uh, and so that that you know, and that's where we play. So you know, the sweet spot for us is um, people who have got you know some experience, got a five to ten years of experience, know their domain well, um, have got a great idea, uh, and you know, and then we can work with them to, uh, to really flesh out the idea, make sure it's great, make sure that the first version of the product built is one that really resonates with customers, you know, find those first customers, get the economics looking great, and then, uh, and then race to the Series A.
0: Okay, so you're looking for the business person with the idea that can't, get, can't build the MVP, and that's yeah. where you specialize. That's the sweet spot, yeah. Okay. Now, you specialize in e-commerce. Is that still the case? And why, why pitch, pick such a
1: niche? Um. So, yes, it is still the case, and a big part of what I wanted to do when I left Ford was to be sector focused uh, and The reason for that is that by being sector focused you you, know, you build up some real expertise in an area and so you make better investment decisions you 're also better able to help your companies because you understand their business better, and, and your network of contacts becomes stronger in their specific areas, so you become more attractive to the to the best entrepreneurs uh, and so that was why I wanted to to focus on a, an area uh, and you know if you look at if you look at the U.S., you know, the most successful strategies for venture capital funds over the last uh, 10, 15 years have, you know, have been twofold. One is the sector-focused fund, so Union Square Ventures stands out uh, as, as the best example there. You know, they're focused on network businesses. Okay. Uh, and... And then the second stretch is, is high value add, you know, with Google Ventures, Andreessen Horowitz and so on. That's kind of younger in its gestation, but that's the other thing that we've picked up. Okay. Uh, as
0: in they really take an active role in the company and brain dump all their knowledge. And like Andreessen Horowitz, they have all of these specialty people as well.
1: Yeah. So the key thing is you've got a team of people that help the, you know, you're not, you're not just a fund of investors. You're a fund of uh, investors and a team of operators to, to help the, the companies. Okay. So you notice those two things and that's yeah. what you're doing here. Exactly.
0: Which is interesting. I haven't heard this business model... And I've done 80 of these shows. So you're kind of doing something unique in London, I would say. Yeah, no, very much so, yeah. Okay. And one more question. I mean, I was listening to the the series, um, How to Start a Startup, which I think was uh, Stanford University. And they had a lot of people from Y Combinator there and, and former grads and a bunch of interesting people. And I think the Y Combinator person said that they ran the numbers on there are 200 or 400 startups and they found that the most successful teams were with two or three co-founders and that the ones that did it alone had a very hard time. What's been your experience or is your idea to take that business guy and, and marry him with a tech person? How have you found a co-founding team success rate? You're a numbers guy. If you run the numbers statistically, what is it? What is it like?
1: I, so, uh, yeah, I totally agree with the conclusion coming out of Y Combinator. It's so much easier to, to run a business if there's two or three of you at, at the top. It's you know, it's a hard business running a startup, as you know, um, and you know there's just a million things that come at you all the time, and. If you've got if you've got a, so a partner at the, the heart of your business, a co-founder, then there's someone who you can you know if a problem comes in, you can have your you know your, okay, your little panic reaction without upsetting the team or upsetting your investors. That's important. If you have you know ideas about how you might solve problems or new things you want to try, someone you can talk to when those ideas are only half baked. You know all those things are super hard if if, if you don't have a, a partner, a co-founder at the centre of your business, and so. Um, We're big believers in the importance of teams, you know, where we uh, kind of look at it uh, in a bit more detail, though, is, you know, do you need to have that partner on on day one? You know, if if you have that partner, if you know, if you're a business oriented person, you've got a great idea and you've got a a co-founder then that's great right if you've got someone you want to work with out of the traps that's fantastic but if you don't then the best, per, the best time to find that person is not straight away when your idea is still kind of pretty half baked and only really exists in PowerPoint it's, it's in a couple of months when you know you've validated the idea you've launched your first version you've got a, you know, a few customers only a small number and you can go and talk to people and say look hey I've got a real business here. This is a, this is a real thing. Do you want to join? And, and at that point, you unlock a, a much larger pool of, of more qualified candidates. You know, and, and these often are techies. And there's and there's a lot of um, sort of co-founder CTO types who really want to get involved super early stage in startups. But you know, they've tried it once, pairing at, at kind of day zero with a business uh, business oriented founder, and the things flopped because uh, because ultimately, it you know, probably wasn't a good idea, right? Uh, and so by the You know, when you go to them with a story of uh, the company that's a couple of months in and, you know, and it's just got much more substance to it, then they say, okay, like I always wanted to join really early stage and, and, you know, this looks great for me now. And they don't get many opportunities to join businesses like that. Are you a matchmaker of sorts? Are you match.com for tech in London? The... Yeah, but that makes it feel lonely or somehow, doesn't it? Right, <laughs> <laughs> it is lonely out there. <laughs> but, um, but but very much so. So, so talent is, is is one of the key things that we help our companies with, and and helping through that process of figuring out, you know, what sort of co-founder. Is going to be best for you. And then helping them find that person is very much part of how we help.
0: I can just imagine about the horrible unions that are going on out there when some business guy bumps into some tech guy. They don't know anything about each other, but they've never met anyone like each other. And they just say, OK, let's do it because I'm, I'm in a what I'm in a scarcity mindset right now because I don't have options. I mean, you must see that all the time. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, and we see people who have paired up in that regard, uh, in that way, and then we look at it and go, like, that's made. That's made, you know, you as an individual, we would have invested in, but now, now there's two of you. It's not working for us, right? And
0: that's over. I mean, that's yeah. it's too late, right? Yeah. And the yeah. whole idea is now crushed, and the equity's been split. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, like it's almost you've lost your one
1: year or two year window, kind of right? Well. In the worst case, yes. I mean, so they've got a chance. Maybe we're wrong in that assessment. You know, so they, they, they go away and try and do their thing, obviously. But, um, but, yeah.
0: Okay. A lot of guys are listening on Women Too, and they're thinking, wow, how could I be the business person that would impress Nick? And I'm wondering, what are you looking for? I'm sure there's a bunch of intangibles, but you mentioned earlier you're, you're looking for a certain amount of experience. Are there certain traits, as in they've stuck with jobs in the past, or, or there, is it background, education? Is there anything that
1: you found works So, you know, there's certainly nothing in in background and and education, you know, we're huge believers on on taking people on merit at at the point at which we meet them, not, you know, like they managed to get some degree at at a good university or anything like that. Um, so, what do we look for? You know, we look for someone who has, first and foremost, got a great idea, and, and they're passionate about that, and they can explain it clearly. Uh, and you know, one of the big questions we always have, right at the get-go, um, you know, when an entrepreneur's at the beginning of their journey, it's like, you know, how much they're going to stick with this, right? You know, do we really think that, right. that they want it? You know, hard, you? right? And they're going to stay with it for five years yeah. or more.
0: How can you tell that?
1: Well, so you know, you look at what they've been doing, right? How hard they've been working on the on this project in the background. So, um, so one of the guys we have just. Had been, um, you know, so he, he, uh, he handed his notice on his job the day after he, he signed the term sheet with us. Um, but he'd, for the previous year, he'd been working on this company as a side project and he had a site live and he got his first few customers and you know he persuaded some developer to work with him for free and you know so like you could see like he wanted it and he'd chosen his jobs in order of the previous five years in order to build up his experience base okay you know okay you could feel he wanted it right okay so the cv must tell you something what they've been doing for the past five years i mean you must be able to so in that case very much so you know one before uh, a company called Lexu uh, which is a marketplace connecting um, small companies with lawyers there Um, you know Daniel uh, was a lawyer before and so what we liked about that you know he really understood the 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 lawyer side of the equation what drives those uh, guys and girls you know and and how they were going to you know how to make Lexu attractive so that they would work with him and and, again, you could really feel the drive. So he had been highly successful in his, in his five years as a lawyer. That was a big part of it. Okay. And do you do multiple meetings over a week's and month's process before you choose,
0: or do you get a good feel right away by people?
1: Um, so, so you know, we do get a good feel right away, and that, and that is important. But then we do have a, a process that we go through. So, you know, we keep it quick. You know, we, we really set ourselves up to... Um, uh, to be as entrepreneur-friendly as we can. And, you know, one of the things that um, that investors can be very guilty of is, is spinning spinning entrepreneurs' wheels, you know, taking meetings when maybe they're not, you know, un- that likely to invest and, and, you know, and then not saying no um, yeah, they might. Yeah, that's all the that's worst, sort of. right? Yeah, yeah. So, we, you know, we, we really work hard not to do that at all. Uh, and... Uh, and to keep our processes very fast and transparent. So um, the way we work with companies at the idea stage is is a couple of meetings, one, maybe two meetings, and then we have a, uh, a workshop process that we use, which is based on the business model canvas, which is a way of looking holistically at the whole company uh, and then working through what are the assumptions behind it. And, and that helps us to see the assumptions that are being made um, uh, and... And then we have a stack ranking process, which says, okay, so these are the most important assumptions by criticality to the business and, and how easy they are to test. And we look at those and think, hmm, do we believe those, you know, like, you know, so they need to be proven, but what's that got telling us? Uh, and, you know, and if we think they can be proven, then that's a really great sign for the company. Uh, and then we talk with the entrepreneur, right? You know, this is how we're seeing this. Do you see it in the same sort of way? If we, if we invest, the first thing we should do is to, is to try and validate these assumptions. Uh, and and then that becomes the work plan for the first couple of months after, after we've invested.
0: How do you say no? And do you usually try to give it a, front, a, a time frame in your mind when I have to get back and give these people yes or no's? Uh,
1: so, yeah, we try and do it very quickly. Uh, we haven't done this yet. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I'd like to get to in the next year or two is a clear, uh, almost like an SLA for entrepreneurs. You know, like if you, uh, if you contact us, we'll reply within this sort of time frame. And if you meet us, we'll get back. Um, with a decision, again, within a couple of days. We just started actually sending out questionnaires to uh, feedback questionnaires after we meet entrepreneurs. And see, you know, we get some feedback, right? You know, did we set this thing up effectively? Were we present in the meeting appropriately? Did we ask the right questions? Did we get back to when we said we would?
0: You know, I want to know what you think is the future of funding for startups in London. You know, every week I turn around and I seem to see a kind of a new accelerator, a new incubator, a new fortune 500 company that's coming in and saying, now we're going to accelerate here, accelerate there. And I got a funny feeling that these are going to continue for the next couple of years. And there's so many options. I think there is like five or eight different fintech accelerators out there. Is London over accelerated? Is that the wrong choice for certain people to go on these 90 day programs, you know, or should they be thinking about doing something else? So...
1: I think we do have too many accelerators. I think, you know, particularly corporate accelerators are mushrooming. And, and if you look at the motivations for corporates, you know, a lot of these big companies they desperately want to harness more innovation somehow, and they don't know how to do that. And running an accelerator is is one way that might deliver that benefit for them. It's a cheap and way. It's of pretty doing it. cheap, and they right. get you know, they get some good commenters, some good marketing benefits. Uh, uh, and so I think there's a lot of that going on. I think that. You know, probably they won't get the benefits they, they hope out of it, but, you know, that's a wave that'll take a couple of years probably to work, work its way through. Um, that said, you know, depending on the program, right, if you're not taking any equity, then, you know, uh, why not? Right. Um going to okay. do this for 90 days. You get from free, free office space, you get your networks, who, um, get a bit better, and, you know, one of our companies... Um, and the logistics space as a logistics provider, you know, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say they are, but they, uh, they're just setting up an accelerated program. And I was like, wow, even they're setting up an accelerated program. What's the deal? Uh, no equity. You know, we get to know them a bit better and we get to meet some other people and, you know, they're potentially acquirer one day. And so, so why not? Right. right. Okay. Yeah.
0: And the corporate ones don't usually take equity, right?
1: Some do, some don't. Okay. But yeah, but if they don't, then it's a, you know, so we backed a company called DataLoop last year that had been through the Microsoft accelerator. Right. And, you know, it was just, you know, uh, It was just they got free office space and some good networks for 90 days, and they just used that, right?
0: Yeah. No, I bumped into a few few people that have asked me that, and it's kind of like, yeah, what are you doing now? Plus, a lot of people, since they don't have the means outside their current full-time job or whatever they're doing, like, what are you actually going to be doing in 90 days from now? Maybe not much else. So this could be a great way for you to get the knowledge, get a network, talk to people, don't give up equity. Yeah, and there's something there. Now, what if you're giving up eight percent of the equity and you're going on, you know, a ninety or a hundred day startup? Does that change things? Yeah, totally. Right. You know, that's okay. that's getting up uh, for ten percent
1: of your company, uh, but it's uh, only ten percent. It's only ten percent, but you know, ten percent here, ten percent there, and uh, and pretty soon you're talking real money. You know, the uh, and so you know uh, at that level, um, you know, some some of them are great, some of them are not. Uh, and you need to take a, you know, a very careful decision about whether it's worth 10% of your company. It also depends on, on what your strengths are So uh, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur. So I think what a, what a lot of these accelerators are really good for is is helping people to really quickly build out their networks, you know, particularly if you're coming from a foreign country, you know, from Eastern Europe maybe, uh, you, you arrive in London, then 90 days with a good accelerator, all of a sudden you're you know, hugely well-networked, and that would take you maybe a couple of years otherwise. So that can easily be worth 7%, 8%. Right. Um, you know what we're doing, uh, working with companies for a much longer period of time. Every year um, is, is, uh, you know that that period of time enables us to to really build a solid business, right? And help them build a product, get customers, validate the economics, and you know, and hence drive a big increase in valuation in, in 90 days. You know, there's there's only so much you can do, right? Um, and so. I think that, you know, in most cases, the accelerators are good for the use case I just described.
0: Okay. Biggest mistake startups make? I know it's a general question, but you see it every day. Plus, you've been in this business for so long. Or these days. That might have changed in the last two years. Yeah, yeah.
1: Biggest mistake startups make? I think the the easiest mistake to make and the most common mistake is to... um, you know, have your you know take the initial vision for a product, an idea, and, and and then just go build that, and and not be receptive enough to to feedback. You know, not spend enough time talking to customers or talking to customers in the right way. So, so many companies now, you know, that they they read the Lean Startup or at least skimmed it, and um, and they want to build a minimum viable product, uh, and then they don't they don't build the best MVP that they could, right? They build one. Maybe they should have built it here, but they you know they build it over here, a slightly different feature set, and. You know and then it doesn 't really resonate that well, and they 're trying to iterate from 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 the wrong base you know actually there 's a phrase that ideO use, which is slow down to speed up, and which I think is really relevant for startups at the early stages. You, know, you take a little bit of time to to really understand what are the emotional, you know, what are the emotional kind of hot buns around your product for, for your customers, and once you understand that, you know, then you choose what. Your MVP should look like, and then you're in a much stronger place.
0: Right. So don't go too fast into product, which is what we've heard the market been preaching us for a long time. Right. Mm. You, you wrote a, bl- a blog post recently saying good startup hypotheses must be
1: falsifiable. Mm. Is
0: this a little bit about examining your product and examining what your methodology is first?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it goes into that. Um, yeah, definitely into that same monia. The. So uh, I think you know to the extent that you can have great clarity over what it is you're trying to build and why uh, and how much of that you know and how much of that is guesswork at the moment that you're going to test, then then you're in a much stronger place. Okay. Uh, and it's really easy to uh, to want to move super fast and you kind of know you know right you can feel it and what it should be and so you just want to build and. Um, you know, and as I say, that can, that can end up with not quite the right product, and then you're starting from the wrong place, and, and the thing can never, will never be as good as it might have been.
0: All right. So the, I mean, that's the funny thing about startups is a great founder believes in his vision uh, in a completely irrational way, right? Or he wouldn't be doing what he does. Yeah. But also a great founder constantly gets feedback from the market in case they need to pivot. I don't even know if you use that word anymore. Mm. So how do you strike the balance? And how do you convince your portfolio companies or partner companies to, to, to strike the balance? Because sometimes
1: you're dealing with people that are very passionate. So, so striking a balance is key, right? In this true in so many areas of life. And it's so easy to say and, and so hard to do. I read another blog post recently about getting the right balance between optimism and, and critical thinking, which I right. think really talks to this it's point. It's you cynicism know. and naivete were yeah, the two yeah. extremes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Was it hope without something? With, um, it? You know, hope without critical thinking, critical thinking is, is naivety naivete and critical thinking without hope is cynicism. Right. Uh, and, you know, you don't want to be either of those. Right, you want to be in the middle, but um, but it's a tough balance to strike, and uh, uh, and so you need to strive for the balance and knowing when to listen you know because as, as an entrepreneur you know you get all sorts of advice from you know everyone uh, you know everyone wants to be a mentor these days and take the coffee and you get all sorts of advice much of it conflicting knowing which bits to which bits to take uh, and which bits to ignore uh, isn't easy and you know and ultimately that's it's about your judgment as as a founder and uh, you know, uh, and having great judgment is, is kind of one of the differences between success and failure, ultimately. Right. So you want the right mentors around you. Well, y- you've got to talk to a lot of mentors. It's about knowing which ones to listen to. Right. You know, which ones do you go to see again and which ones do you not?
0: Right. Talk to me about the boardroom. I know you, you've had some early experience on boards. I uh, was listening to that same, how to start a startup series. And someone from one of the companies said that, you know, in all their time, they never remember something, a board vote, anything but unanimous. And so I think a lot surprised a lot of people. And I had Philippe Terry here from Excel a couple weeks ago. And I said, what's it really like at a board meeting? You know, is it what we think it is? Or is it like some movie, you know, what does it really feel like? And I was wondering what you learned about boards, about consensus over the years. And I'll ask you how does it really work? So,
1: good board meetings are not that different to good meetings, full stop. You know, they are you know relatively informal, uh, and you know everyone's clear on, on what you're trying to achieve and, and pushes forward to, to the uh, to the to the same objective you know, bad board meetings are, are where everything gets very formal and, you know, people are, you know, I've been in board meetings, uh, actually, particularly in the States where <laughs> people fall back on formality uh, as a way to avoid difficult discussion, okay. uh, you know, and, and I say in the States, so it's very common in, uh, for us companies to have a lawyer present at the, at board meetings, something mm. that we never do over here. Is that
0: because it's so litigious or is that just someone that's not doing their homework and not building coalitions or what is that? Um,
1: it's interesting so I think in part because it's litigious, but also because um, so the the yeah, it's interesting isn't it I, I, th- I think it's because the you end up um, when the lawyer's there, then um, you're able to quickly check back on on uh, you know, how uh, does any given decision impact on things that the company has done before? And so, yes, yeah, so I think you're right. It's because they're litigious and they're more worried than, than we are here about taking a decision which might be uh, at odds with a contract they've done previously, or and so on. I think right. it is. Yeah, it must be. So that makes for a bad board meeting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. So then, you know. Then, you know. Uh, if people want to avoid difficult decisions or difficult discussions, then, you know, they can be constantly saying or asking, you know, well, how does this look from a legal perspective and, uh, and uh, exploring fear scenarios rather than getting to the, to, to the heart of the matter.
0: Okay. And what was your bad experience when you first started out with boards or what did you learn or fail to do?
1: Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, when I look back at, uh, at myself as an early board member, it's, it, it makes me cringe. Um, <laughs> uh, and... So, you know, I was, uh, at least I thought I was, smart, you know, and I'd you know, seen quite a lot of companies and, and could see the path that uh, the company should be taking, you know, and also lots of little things that could be done better. And so the mistake that, that I made, and it took me a while to, you know, more than one board to <laughs> to learn this, was to um, try and uh, try and help the the, the founders, the CEOs on, on too many levels. Like, you know, I think we should be doing this uh, A and B and C and D uh, and what I learned over time was that, you know, by far and away that the most effective way to operate is to figure out which of those is the most important, A, B, or C, or D, and, and, and focus on that. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and really just try to have one thing that you're trying to uh, help with at any given moment. So one theme at a time. Yeah. Okay. And do you have to build coalitions with board
0: members? Do you have to always have a discussion going, you know, constantly, not just quarterly at these meetings?
1: Is there any kind of so, so you know, in a good board, then there's relationships between the board members, and you know, and they do talk a lot, and you know, quite often you see these people around at different places anyway. Um, you know, when you start talking about building coalitions, then it starts to sound political, right. and you know, and that's you know, if you're into that, then you're into a bad place. You know, ultimately, if if there's any kind of fundamental disagreement between the CEO and, and any of the other board members, then then you're in a difficult place. Uh, when, you know, when everyone's aligned on strategy and, and, uh, and what the business should do, then, it, then it's easy, right? Then things flow. Um, if there's a fundamental disagreement, then it starts to get difficult because... Um, where you start interpreting data in different ways you want to look at things in different ways You want to talk about different things and you know ultimately it's the ceo who controls the, the company and, and should control the agenda But the board member has a certain amount of power is in some ways is kind of a little bit the boss of the uh, of the CEO and so that's it just gets very difficult
0: I think Ben Horowitz talks about in that in the hard thing about hard things and just the relationship with the board member and a ceo and How yeah, you really need to stay on the same page and as soon as you get off that page It yeah. makes for a very short ten- or, you know, a
1: very, a lot of tension. So, yeah. And sometimes you can't some, you know, like you, you know, you get off the page, but you're stuck on the same board because you're still invested and, you know, and that can be hard to work out. Right.
0: Let's talk about Horowitz really quick. You mentioned, uh, you know, Adresin as maybe a model of yours as far as having all of that full service you yeah. know, personnel in there. You know, uh, Ben's just taken his first European board seat on transfer wise. It was a big news for us, you know, billion dollar valuation here in London, big investment. What do you think of, you know, that firm coming to Europe, coming to London, is that a sign of things to come? Does does this tell us something about what the Valley's looking at as far as abroad? Or what would you read on that?
1: I think that the world is a smaller and smaller place every year. And uh, as investors, particularly if you're managing a large fund, you want to be in the the best companies in the world, right? We were talking a, a little bit earlier on about... Uh, you know the number of billion dollar companies that there are, right? You know, and it needs to be a billion dollar company or a ten billion dollar company if it's going to move, move the needle for Andreessen Horowitz now. And you know, there there isn't so many of those in the US that they can afford to just focus there. So I think we're going to see more of it. Right, and it's also
0: interesting because you have a a kind of a separate ecosystem that they can kind of invest in that might not be correlated to the valley Mm. or to other, you know, and so you don't know what ideas they're going to come up with or, you know, what they'll
1: learn in a different
0: regulatory environment or.
1: Yeah, exactly. Different uh, different cultures produce different ideas and therefore different types of startups, Uh, and uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and particularly as the, the, the financing climate, financing environment gets stronger here in Europe and in other startup centers around the world, then, you know, we'll see more and more great companies um, coming out of all these different places. And Silicon Valley's kind of market share of the best companies is, is only going to decline over time talk to me about the equity kicker that's your blog hugely yeah. popular fantastic ideas
0: how do you come up with the ideas how do you be how are you so prolific because i think we've seen the great bloggers or writers really do produce daily content or multiple pieces to try to keep people engaged how did you come across it and do you find that the
1: that the writing actually helps you in your own business yeah sure i wouldn't keep doing it uh, <laughs> just for, just for the blogging so Uh, My routine is to, you know, in in the morning I have a a few Twitter lists, um, which I scan and I save articles from those. Uh, And then my routine is I spend, you know, half an hour to an hour and a half reading those. and, uh, And, you know, nine days out of 10, maybe 19 out of 20, my blog idea comes from that. And that's in the morning. I'm always curious yeah, about teams. I, I, so I try to fit it in in the morning. You know, before
0: you get to the office or in the no, office?
1: No, no, in the office. Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. I, so I do the reading sometimes before I go to the office, but but I actually do the writing in the office. And so if I have meetings, and I'll be in the afternoon. But one of the first things I'm doing every day is looking at my diary, thinking, you know, when am I going to have time to um, to write my blog post? Okay, so you, reading, you try to post. do one a day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I've been, you know, like. Um, I uh, actually missed a couple of days last week when I was in the office because I was ill and I was like so running at half speed. But the you know I haven't missed a uh, I haven't missed a working day blogging for a long, long time. Really. And how long have you been doing this for? Um, so since we spun out of Casanova, so since June 2006. So I wanted to write the blog when we were at, at Casanova Private Equity. Um, but Casanova had, had issued something like six press releases in 180 years. And so the, the idea of someone there blogging was like a total no-no. Anyway, so we spun out from Casanova and I started blogging straight away after that.
0: Okay. And some of the titles are fascinating. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're very nice and simple and backed by data. You like data, don't mm, you? And so yeah. you get a graph there. You get something, you know, uh, music labels, a rake right too far, two great rules for writing and life. Faith. Facebook is a powerful advertising platform. All with kind of some bar graphs and some information. It's nice and short, and you're you're just I guess what's what's what you
1: fancy or what is on your radar. Is that what you write about? Yeah, so I write about what's on my mind and what I'm um, and what I'm reading about at the time. And so, you know, if you look at the subjects that I've written about and how it's evolved, it you know really fo- really reflects. Um, Where I've been investing, so, you know, the strategy of DFJ versus Ford Partners, and then the types of things that that I've been investing in. Uh, And uh, so, you know, now you see a lot more stuff about really early stage companies, then it was a bit more about Series A, Series B when I was at uh, DFJ. so yeah, so back to the, kind of the, the benefits beyond you know so it 's nice it helps build the profile for, for myself and for four partners. but the other things that it does for me uh, are twofold really one that you know it really forces that, that daily rhythm of reading because uh, it 's easy to to not find the time for that, so I, I really like that and then two, uh, the act of writing down your, force, your, your thoughts forces you to, to really complete them and think yeah. them through in a way that you just don 't and, and so yeah, it just really helps me to um, uh, just to be a bit smarter, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a problem for you, Nick. I got a funny feeling.
0: Um, do you also find that it's a great, you know, a de facto PR move for you that you get a lot of companies that contact you or they read your blog and they're like, wow, this guy's the real deal. You know, he's not just a guy with a
1: checkbook. Do you find it? Yes, definitely. You know, I, what I hear all the time is like, uh, you know, even though we've barely met or I've not met you before, I, I feel like I know you because, cause I read your blog every day. Uh, and uh yeah, and, yeah, so it definitely helps build the profile and, and build that personal relationship. You know, uh Nick
0: and I just shot like a two-minute video here quickly to, to phone and I was when I was reading your blogs, I was like, you know, it would be great is if you did the same thing on your blog. So I'm just putting that out there as an idea for you because it's also a great way to complete your thoughts if you have to do it to camera, even if it's two or three yeah, minutes.
1: It's yeah, interesting. It could be
0: good, it could be interesting. Again, uh you know it's it's a great way to get your thoughts all together. And I couldn't have done it a few years ago when I started this, but the more and more that I talk to camera now I can just just be like, I can kind of complete an idea. So I'm putting that challenge out. Then you've got
1: to do it in real time. Yeah, then you have to do it in real time.
0: But, you, but you know, your ideas are very, are very, you know, very short and, and, and contained. So, um, and, and so I think you could just get them down in a couple minutes. So I'm putting that challenge out to you. Yeah. Maybe one a week. Yeah, yeah, i will think about that, definitely. <laughs> Talk to me about London. If, if there's one thing that we have to keep our eye on the ball here to not drop it, to make sure that the ecosystem continues to grow and stay positive and, and it is a great environment to be,
1: wh- what do we have to focus on? So, you know, I think we've really got to stay focused on getting to the exits. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, I come all in favor of of celebrating success as as companies grow and be that big customers or raising a Series A or a Series B or a big round from Andreessen Horowitz. But, you know, ultimately that counts for nothing until you get public or you sell the company. Uh, And... So that's the thing to focus on. Okay. You know, there's a, something called a media bias and in technology we
0: suffer, suffer it probably 10 times out of any other industry. Cause you read about it on TechCrunch. I mean, they even say they love funding articles. So you always hear this money here and this money here and this money mm-hmm. here. And yet, you know, you know, yeah, exactly. It, like story, it, could, it? You
1: know, it can become a goal in itself. Right. You know, I got right. the series a from big brand name investor and oh, now what do I do? Right. And, you know, and, um, as like I say, right, you know, it's, it's about building a sustainable company ultimately. And, and, and that's what gets you the exit. So, you know, and also I mean that that's really what's most rewarding. I think for, for a lot of the best entrepreneurs, it's, you know, that's how you leave the it legacy. It's like, a, you know, I build an amazing company with a great product that people love. Look at Transferwise, right. You know, how much do people love that product? Yeah. And I've built a company that I'm proud of um, because, you know, I love the culture
0: here typically. Right. And one thing that continues to come up on this show here is, you know, the seven to 10 year time frame, And I just think again, from the media bias and the the things that we read. We assume that it's like a two or three year turnaround or you hear these stories and it's just not. If you Mm. go back to the numbers, you know, you find out that even the huge success stories, you know, Facebook seven, eight years before they went public and Mm. all of these stories, um, that it's good to keep that in
1: mind. Yeah. I mean, there are examples of companies that get to huge valuations really fast, but you know, they're, they're, they're the outliers, you know, and you can't, you can't, you can't have a strategy of being an outlier. You know, if you're starting a company or investing in a company at day zero, as we do, then you've got to figure it's a seven to 10 year journey. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question that I've just been
0: kind of potting around in my head for a while, and I'm by no means an expert, but when people talk about the valuation of a company, when they raise money, is that the wrong way of looking at things? Is that a way to really get a weirdly inflated idea in your mind? And should you instead be thinking, okay, Andreessen Horowitz just invested $58 million in trans for Wise, and they're going to build that and maybe grow it to a certain percentage. But when we start throwing around this company is worth a billion dollars, even though only a small percent of the equity is just traded hands, is that kind of inflate things in our mind in a wrong way?
1: Um, so it's, it's an imperfect measure of progress is how I would think about it. Okay. You know, So if TransferWise is valued at a billion dollars by Andreessen Horowitz, then you know, it's the best number that we've got you know it's it 's imperfect for lots of reasons uh, and you know but ultimately there is no way of knowing from fundamentals or on an absolute basis what their company's worth and so you know that is the best guess but you know you've got to um, you got to just keep in mind that it is it is just a a good yardstick and it 's not any kind of um like I say, you know, it's not a final valuation and, and ultimately it doesn't count for anything unless you, you know, unless you get to a sustainable profitable business and a good exit.
0: Right. So keep focused on the yeah. long-term strategy. Yeah. Let's talk about you personally really quick. You seem like a, a man who likes to run the numbers on everything and, and just constantly check, which goes back to your articles as far as looking at the numbers and then constantly making sure your product is doing what you think it's going to do. You've run some things on yourself as well. You, you refuse the caffeine that I tried to, to, to push on you in the door <laughs> yeah. and uh, you found that certain things work for you, certain things don't. I know you said that that meditation works well for you uh, how have you found certain personal habits maybe reading in the morning
1: you know works better for you as opposed to others so the one habit that i do religiously which uh, which I love is, is uh, yeah. So I get up half an hour before Fiona and the kids to, to go and do some exercise, you know, I have a very quick protein bar and then I go for a run or do half an hour's exercise at, at home. And this is like six in the morning. Or? Yeah. Half six. Okay. Yeah, six. Half six. Okay. Half, yeah. Maybe quarter to seven. Okay. Uh, um, this is the routine for success. You found this works <laughs> for right? me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, and so that gives me more energy, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and so both longer in the day and, and kind of makes me feel much more positive. And you know, sometimes it's not possible, right? When I've got too much work or I've got a flight to get or something. And you know, a couple of days without that, and you know, and I, can, you know I can really feel it. I get a you little bit it. grouchy. It's like right. you know, you were talking to me before about your Q test. You know, and that's you know, after a couple of days of not exercising in the morning, I feel a bit like that.
0: Right. right. My Q test was if you're waiting in the queue and you're getting angry at the fact that there's a queue, then you're not um, you're not keeping an eye on the bigger picture, which yeah. is you know the, the great place you're in. the, the companies you're with, the people you're around. And that probably means you haven't maybe done your exercise or done your meditation. So you do the half hour of exercise in the morning. Then what's next for
1: you? Um, so then it's, you know, then the kids start to get up, Fiona starts to get up. And so, and I get ready for work. So it's kind of mix of getting ready and a bit of family time, uh, cycle to work. Uh, and then, uh, and then get into it. The, so that's the only kind of really regular habit I have. Okay. Um, do you meditate too? It- I, I do meditate, but I um, but not regularly. So um, one of the and this, oh, people always laugh a little bit at this, but one of the one of the things I do, one of the times I meditate the most is is first thing in the morning. Um, so if, if I wake up um, like fifteen twenty minutes before it's time to go for my run, then. Um, then I, then I lie there literally in, in bed and meditate on my back, you know, and I've been told before that that's not a, that, you know, that's not meditation. That's a lie in, <laughs> but, but it really, but that really works for me. Uh, no, don't laugh. <laughs> I, that, that,
0: that's what I do in the morning. What I do is I wake up, I brush my teeth and I go back into bed and I sit up against the headboard yeah. and then I do my 20 minutes. Then
1: do you do 20 minutes every morning? Yeah, I cool. do. Yeah. I do. See, I would, yeah, I would like to do that. I haven't found that that's much hard, Cause really. you're doing, then
0: you're doing exercise on top of that. Yeah. So that makes
1: up like an hour window in the morning. Yeah, Exactly and then I um, this is the other slightly strange one for meditation so I cycle around a lot to meetings and so on and, um, and every time I get to the lights I just kind of get a 30 second 60 second depending on how long the lights are on meditation there, really kind of soft focus on the red light and uh, and you know, and that makes a difference. Again, I actually, so when we moved office to, uh, to our current office, just, just by Hoxton square, um, my commute from, from home, uh, dropped from like 15 minutes to 10 minutes on the bike. And the number of lights dropped from like five to two. And I, I felt that right immediately. You missed that, your meditation. missed, missed, missed the <laughs> Light time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's an interesting point. You can get bits of meditation in, yeah. you know, and you kind of get bits of quiet time. And it's funny, training can be a form of meditation. Very much so, yeah. You know, reading those articles and compiling your thoughts in the morning at work before people get, can get in can be a kind of a weird quiet time as well. Yeah, yeah. And so doing that reading in the morning and then writing your blog, I'm sure that's really helped you over the years to just get your head in the right space and to get ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: You know, and get those thoughts really kind of clear and and properly complete. You know,
0: you must do a lot of communicating. So communicating to people that you work with, to new firms and things like that. And if you think you only have, say, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 seconds to get an idea across to someone, and if it's nice and clear and concise, then you're going to be...
1: And it takes a lot of work, you know. It's <laughs> like it's like the the Apple cliche, you know. It takes a lot of work to make these products look so simple, yeah. and and it's the same with ideas, right? So, and the
0: best way to do it is to practice, yeah. is To write or to film videos, yeah. That kind
1: of yeah. Thing. One of the interesting things for us over the last um, year and a half at Ford Partners has been, you know, how do we describe ourselves, you know? And then it's kind of uh, as I described it here, you know, we work with companies from concept through to Series A and. Um, is some, only something we arrived at relatively recently. Uh, and, and, you know, when we started saying that, and we've got different stages that, you know, we can kind of talk about how that breaks down and how we help companies at different points, all of a sudden it started, you know, that just really started working with uh, with people, with particularly with entrepreneurs. And, and everything started falling into place. But, you know, we had to go through a couple of iterations of things in order to get there. And, that, you know, each one wasn't quite perfect, but a bit, bit better than the one before. And you just, you, you know, you just got to, try stuff and iterate and so on.
0: Yeah. That's so important. A good exercise is to take 15 words and make them all words that a 10 year old would understand and write and, and write out your objective as a business or describe it.
1: That's a fun one. It's yeah. a good one. And yeah. so make
0: it so your grandma can understand or someone. And if your grandma can't understand it, then rewrite it into where it's like, da 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 and, um, so many startups, I've been guilty of it too. Don't, don't do that. And yet they'll be spend all their time on the product and this and that. And yet they haven't distilled in their own minds and their coworkers minds exactly what they do, which means that everyone's probably doing something slightly different.
1: So that is actually one of the tests that we use, you know, when we, uh, you know, when we're trying to think whether an idea is a good one or not, you know, can we distill it into 10 or 15 words and you know, is there a compelling elevator pitch that we can see right at the, right at the beginning? Right. I had Guy Kawasaki in here
0: who, uh, you know, is a, is a, a social media guru and he was uh, the chief evangelist for Apple for four years. And he said that every company should have a mantra, which is not their slogan, but which is say three words. And so it's like, duh da duh da. And he mm-hmm. was like offering the ones for Spotify and for this and for that. And it's, it's not like, so Nike wasn't just do it, it was, you know, blah, 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 blah. I shouldn't remember what he said, but it was interesting if you can try to think of what your mantra is too, by mm. condensing it even
1: more. So we had to think about that, you know, and for us, uh, uh I think it's helped great entrepreneurs, you know, nice. we're about, you know, really helping and the, you know, and then we're helping entrepreneurs, but key to the whole, uh, business of investing is, is, is working with great people, right? Working right. with great companies ultimately.
0: And that passes the 10-year-old test because they can understand it. Yeah. Fantastic. Nick, I always ask everyone here a few questions at the end. I'm going to ask you those same ones. If you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Nick, I'm guessing he was studying at Cambridge at the time, and give that young man a bit of advice, what would you tell him now that you've seen it all up to this point? What would you tell him to do or not to do?
1: Yeah, interesting. I would say... I'd say take it slower and stop stop trying to think you can have the whole world in five years. <laughs> okay, were you in a bit of a rush? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, back to your kind of uh, marathon versus sprint. Yes, and you know, I mean, I think like a lot of I don't know whether this whether it's true of a lot of young people, but certainly for me, I was you know coming out of Cambridge and um, and uh, thought I could take on the world probably thought I was a bit smarter than I was and you know and, and they kind of it's really easy to overindex on the importance of, of smarts versus experience and all these sorts of things right right good advice I've heard that yeah. a couple times before um, best advice you've ever received business
0: or personal best advice I've ever received maybe something in those early VC days you might have learned from one of the first mentors I'm not sure yeah
1: Do you know i mean i think i've received a lot of great advice over the years and i'm struggling to to bring is there, anything is to there my... any piece that
0: you usually pass on to companies i mean you kind of told me one earlier where you said don't don't tell them a b
1: c and d and e just like focus on one thing um yeah so well so, so focus is is a key thing isn't it um and it's um and if i find myself saying one thing more than any other to entrepreneurs, it's that, you know, and when you start a company, uh, there's you know, there's always lots of different opportunities and and you know, and quite right, at the uh, at the early stages you've got to explore all of them, right? And but then when you start to figure which is which is gonna be the main thing for your company, then you know, it really pays dividends to focus heavily on that. And what is quite difficult, um, is to then turn off those other avenues because you're still not sure whether this one's gonna work and, and so it's like, oh, you know, that's like giving up on that optionality is 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 difficult for a lot of people. Right, uh, but usually the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Right, because you have to be all in on that single yeah, product yeah. first, don't you? And it's a good test right, if you're not sure enough about the other thing to go all in, then that's you know, there's a question to ask yourself there too. Right.
0: That's well said last bit of advice to the 20 year old that's listening out there, you know, at Cambridge somewhere who wants to be in tech and maybe that's already a bad sign if that's all they want, but you must meet people all the time that have the great ideas or want to pursue this, this line of work. What do
1: you tell them? What advice do you give them or what they should do? So I think that, you know, the best thing, um, that a young person can do if they want to be an entrepreneur is, is to join a join a tech company uh, and you know and be part of a success story you know work with some other people um, you know a great entrepreneur learn what they're about learn a bit about the market that you want to play in uh, and uh, you know and then you've got a great experience base and you know and hopefully you've kind of become sufficiently familiar with with your um, you know the areas that excite you to really kind of figure, find that great product. Um, so that would be my advice. Should they um, get get out there and meet people and kind of go to these things and start talking yeah. to people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Networking is hugely important, definitely. Um, right. Yeah. So one other thing that, that comes up a lot is, you know, should I share my idea? Uh, and good question. Yeah. The you know to that my answer is always emphatically yes. You know, ideas are cheap. The the key is uh, really uh, executing on it well. Uh, and by keeping your idea to yourself, then. Uh, you're not going to get other people's input on it. And so when you do come to execute, you're just going to do a much poorer job of it. You know, much better to, to talk to everybody about it and then it gets road tested and you kind of develop it in the right ways. And then you're much likely, much more likely to, to build a great company on the back of it. Do people sign non-disclosure agreements anymore? No. When was the last time you signed one? <laughs> when was the last time I signed one? Like, I, so I did sign one about two or three years ago when this, uh, it's a, uh, a Belgian three D don't just close it, three <laughs> D <3D laughs> printing company that wanted us to sign it. But that was really, you know, and we thought long and hard about it, and we did that because it was a really exciting opportunity, and they were. Uh, they were a Belgian um, company that you know, we kind of thought maybe it's reasonable for, you know, to, not to expect them to kind of think about this the same way as, uh, okay. as everyone in California and London does. It's interesting how you know, people are now
0: comfortable with the fact that it's, the idea isn't the value, and it's, it's all about the execution of the perfecting of the idea. Yeah. But if you tell that to someone who thinks the idea is worth a lot, it's really hard to communicate to them that that's just an
1: idea. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, it, in some sense, it's like, so I have an amazing idea. And you're saying the idea doesn't really count. And, the, and it's, it's like, well, I was really proud of my idea. And now you're saying that the ideas don't So, like, it, it's a hard message to hear, right? It right. kind of devalues your, the thing that you hold precious somehow. Right. It's very nebulous. Yeah. Uh, Nick was The equity kicker
0: is fantastic. People should definitely check that out. Uh, great you. reads, great way to get new information every day, soon to be on video. <laughs> um, how can they get in touch with you if they want to explore forward
1: partners? You guys have a great looking website, a lot of great information on there. Thank you. So... Um, so get a get a referral to us is, is one way. Um, that's a, um, the best way to get a conversation going. Okay. Um, How do they get a referral to you? Um, find someone we know. Okay. So uh, you, you appreciate a warm intro. That's yeah. what you want. Yeah, we love a warm intro. Okay. You know, reach out on social media, get to know us a little bit, you know, comment on my blog or follow me on Twitter, you know, uh, all these things would really help. But then the other things that I'd point to are... Uh, uh, we once a month we run office hours, and so we meet with. Uh, we did one last week, uh, actually, uh, and I think we met with 26 entrepreneurs for, for 15 minutes or so. Uh, and so there's you know there's open applications for that, um, okay. and you know and the hit rate for getting a meeting out of an application there is much much higher than, than emailing us direct. Okay. Uh, although the meetings are short. Uh, and then finally, we run regular events as well for partners live. We've got the next one uh, on the 25th of February. Skimlinks CEO, yeah, yeah, that yeah. looks great. If, yeah, going to I talk, might come um, to that. Yeah, too. That'd be cool. Okay. Um, um, you know, so I'm I at everyone. The whole team is, is at every one of those, and that's a good chance to meet us as well.
0: Interesting. So you do So and I appreciate the fact that you like a warm intro, not a cold intro. Does that mean someone's done a little bit of due diligence and done some work?
1: So, uh, you know, what it means is that, you know, someone that we know that we respect, whose, whose opinion we respect, um, you know, understands your business and, or likes you enough to, to put us in touch, right? Right. Yeah, it no, no, makes a lot of sense. It, it means something to me, too. On Twitter, they can follow you at,
0: at Forward Partners. What's your personal Twitter at? Uh, at Brisbane. At Brisbane. Okay. Fantastic. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I'm so glad we met. Uh, and and you, we had a great conversation at the ice dinner. Um, so thanks so much for that. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, I love reading your blog, and I love to see kind of your perspective. And it's interesting to see how these models, you know, develop. And so how it becomes more nuanced, how these companies get helped. And it's not like the old school way of, you know,
1: this choice or this choice. And there's, there's kind of these hybrid models. So, yeah, there's lots of, um, there's lots of different models emerging. And I, you know, I think that's great, right? You know, I think there's give different options for entrepreneurs and different entrepreneurs are going to want different things, you know, hopefully, what 4Partners offers is going to be attractive to a good selection of the best e-commerce entrepreneurs and we will do well, but it's certainly not the only way to, to do things.
0: It's a sign this industry is maturing in the city. So there you go. Fantastic. As we say on Silicon Reel, it's about the people. Nick, you're one of them. Thanks so much for being here, and uh, I wish all the best. I hope to see you at your offices uh, this month for that, uh, for that day uh, with, uh, with the CEO. Thanks. Brilliant. Thank you. All right. Take care. Cheers. This week on Silicon Reel, we have Alex Torres, VP of Global Product Marketing for MoveIT. We have 15, 1, five million users already worldwide. We currently collect more than 2 billion pieces of feedback every one, two months. You really need to have that help and that support from the uh, from your community. Put yourself on your user's shoes. The desktop years are gone. We deliver a new product version every single month. I love mentoring people. I love. Give, I mean, I love helping people. I mean, uh, Alan, I love networking. Seize the moment in the right way. On Monday, Silicon Real presents Alex Torres. Move it. Take more risks. Be more bold.